Welcome to the Influence Podcast. My name is Tom Yanni. Here's a question for you. If you followed your dreams, worked for years, and eventually landed your dream job, could you walk away if you started to feel like it was disempowering you? That's what Kelly Linehan did in what seemed like an abrupt departure for millions of fans that tuned into Toronto's breaking news source, CP24. She landed a coveted reporter and anchor job in 2018 and left amidst the pandemic in 2020. On today's episode, Kelly tells us about her departure from CP24, the challenges of being a reporter nowadays, facts versus misinformation, the evolution of news from broadcast to digital, and we discuss whether the traditional newsroom will exist in the future. We also learn about Kelly's next adventure, which is a production company called Fool Card Productions. Without further ado, here's our conversation about the state of media and where it is headed with Kelly Linehan. All right, so I'm so excited for this conversation and so excited to talk with you today. And I think even as somebody that enjoys news, media, you've had a really interesting career progression and excited to dig into that a little bit further too. But perhaps as a starting point for some people that may be less familiar with that, I'd love to get a little bit of a background on where you were, where you are, and what you're sort of doing. From what I gather, I understand you sort of started out in BC and you've worked in Winnipeg and Atlantic Canada and obviously very notable time at CP24. Having an opportunity to work across the country, and I'm sure you've heard stories from the East Coast, the West Coast, everywhere in between, and obviously CP24 with reach throughout all of Canada. When you sort of reflect back on your career, the different places you've been, the stories you've told, how do you feel that media and journalism has evolved over that period of time? Because I would imagine when you started out, when you're looking at the media landscape then versus now, it's quite a bit different. Yeah. First of all, it's so much smaller, <laughs> but like you mentioned, Tom, I, you know, I'll kind of give you the elevator speech of how I got here and, and how this whole journey unfolded because I took the mail run of um, journalism. You know, when I was at Ryerson, you kind of are presented with two paths. One is like, do you want to go to Toronto and do you want to be a producer and work your way up behind the scenes? And then, maybe fingers crossed, get on air. And that was my goal. I wanted to be a reporter since I was 10 years old and was obsessed with Barbara Walters. <laughs> Mine is the hairdo. <laughs> or the other route was go to a small market and go to the middle of nowhere and work your way up. And so that is the route I took because I just wanted to be on air and I wanted to get experience. And there was no playbook. Like if there had been some kind of book I would have bought you know, out of university telling me, this is what you should do to be a reporter. Like I would have bought it, but there wasn't one. So I just thought, okay, let's just go and do the sure thing of at least being on air and getting some experience with that. So I started in radio. I went to Campbell River, BC, which is on Vancouver Island, just three hours north of my hometown of Victoria. Worked there for like, honestly, a minute. Went to Victoria for radio. And then I started my first TV job up in Northern BC in Prince George. And there you do everything at a smaller station, right? You're, you're shooting, you're editing. I actually was hired as a camera person. So I'd be doing studio cam for the weather host or for the anchor. And then within three months, I was the 630 anchor and did weather and did sports and did packs. So it was crazy, but it was also boot camp. My first real big break, I would say, was going to CTV Winnipeg because then you're within the Bell Media family. And it was so fun. I did a morning show there and love, love, loved my time. And life took me to Halifax. And in a way, I kind of had to start over. I was going there without you know, a secure job, I, I, you know, boyfriend at the time. And so I just started working casually there. And again, like I think 
you know, hard work pays off. And I was co-hosting the five o'clock within a year and a half, I think, and then hosting the morning show, blah, blah, blah. Let's get to the good stuff. So then <laughs> life happens again. And I leave Halifax and I get a job at CP24. And this was a bit of a flyer because it was a contract role. It was a mat leave. And so I was leaving a full-time hosting job in Halifax for this one-year contract, but it ended up being amazing again worked for six months and then got a full-time job hosting the morning show, the weekend morning show, I should say. And then also was doing some morning show hits. And it was a totally different beast working in Toronto than any other market. Like, first of all, there's more than two cameras at a given shoot, right? Like there's like a stack of people uh, everywhere you go. It's, and then there's different radio journalists and print. And so like all of a sudden I was in crowds of people and I had never done that before in media. Usually it was just me and a camera person, you know? So uh, that was a big eye opener, but it's also a grind. Like you have a hit, a hit is where you're, you know, talking to the viewers every half an hour. So your deadlines every half an hour. So it's a lot. We can talk more about why that didn't all, you know, pan out later, but in terms of how it's changed every single year that I've been in this industry, there were cuts every single year. And some of them were, you know, a few people that wanted buyouts and it was really happy for them. And a few people, it was devastating. And some years, it, like they, the cuts were really deep and it changed the entire format of how news was gathered, which means a lot of camera people were either being transitioned to learn, you know, like audio or they were gone. And then a reporter was doing all of their own shooting and editing. And that, like that came to Toronto. CTV Toronto does that as well as other stations in Toronto. And that's the biggest market there is. And so if that's happening there, you just have to know that like, this is the future of it. Like you are, you're gathering everything you're doing from start to finish. It's you. People actually don't fully appreciate how challenging that might be or even what that exactly means. And I'd love to dig into that just a little bit further for a moment. So historically, what would happen is you would go off to a site to report on a story and you'd have one or two other people. You'd have for sure a photographer, or excuse me, a videographer. You might have somebody else that's sort of overseeing, acting as a director or, or something of that nature. And what you're saying now is that even in the largest media market in the country, it's one person that's going out, set up the tripod, frame yourself, make sure your audio is correct, make sure that you're hitting the right marks on time. And it's one person that has to do it all. Let's throw in traffic. Let's throw in driving. Let's throw in calling people on the road. Like before you'd be working with your camera person and you could do all those calls as you're flying to a scene. I actually don't know how they're doing it. I mean, they are, they're figuring it out. I hope speakerphone, <laughs> but yeah, that's it. So usually in the past, what you would have is at least a, a camera person with you. If you were a national level, or if this is like way back in the day, like you would have a producer as well. And I think, you know, nationally for certain hits, they would definitely still have producers there, but that is no longer the case in most, most places I would say. And now it doesn't matter if you work in Prince George or you work in Toronto, it's, that's the name of the game now. And so one thing that has really changed is that, again, historically, the cost of running a newsroom was pretty expensive and equipment was pretty expensive. And cell phones nowadays have evolved to a point where pretty much, you know, anybody that has a high functioning phone in their pocket could be a reporter in, in terms of being able to cut audio and gather video and just be on site and gather things that are happening live. And I'm wondering, mm -hmm. do you feel that the public playing more of a role in generating news in a way that wouldn't have been possible, you know, five, 10 years ago, 
Do you think social media has played a big reason for some of those cuts and changes in media? Yes, and I also think it's it's a good thing, but it also worries me too to have this total democratization of media where people will only consume the news stories they want to consume now because they're not sitting down and watching a half an hour program saying like they're not being spoon fed like I know this is boring, but like the deficit is this. Why would I want to go and turn that on? Why would I want to watch that story if I have my smartphone with me and I can, you know, click on an amazing dash cam video of, you know, close call or, I mean, always animals. Yes, it's good that we are having all of this incredible video coming in from the public and it also knocks down barriers where, you know, not, I'm not even saying the past because journalism, you still have to have a lot of help. You don't make a lot of money. It's predominantly very white. And so it's helped a lot of people to be connected and to have that privilege. So I think on that hand, it's so great to give people this voice. On the other hand, it does worry me that you can kind of pick and choose the stories that you want to watch, which I think gives a huge rise to misinformation too. But overall, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's I think it's amazing that we are getting all this footage in from people. Like, would BLM have happened without it? Probably not. Great point. And I'd love, we're actually going to delve into this a little bit further. I think these are some really, really fascinating and interesting topics. Um, just to close the loop a little bit more on how you've started your own production company, we'll get into that as well. I think as a fan of, of yourself and CP24, and there's probably lots of viewers out there, your departure was at least somewhat sudden. Um, you're kind yeah. of gone one day, <laughs> yeah, right? That, that yeah. friendly face that we all saw every day was gone. Yeah. And so obviously you had a lot of tremendous success in terms of broadcast news and you made a decision to leave and to pursue something different. I'm curious if you could shed any light on yeah. uh, what prompted that decision. I mean, this is being a sound cliche now, but honestly it was COVID because we were covering a lot of seniors' homes, which was a very and is a very important story about people not being able to see loved ones. And there were a high number of deaths, especially beginning the pandemic. So that was a main story. And so you can't help but kind of have an existential crisis because we're live, right? So like we have a shot of a senior's home at least eight hours a day, probably more. And so, you know, I was sitting on the desk. I was working inside. We divided into teams. One team was outside reporting and gathering and then one was inside anchoring. And so I would just kind of sit there and, and be watching these shots of seniors' homes. And you think like they're at the end of their lives, a lot of people that are in these homes. And are they happy with how it turned out? Did they do the things they wanted to do? And, you know, life is so fragile. And, and this pandemic totally brought that into perspective for me and so many people. And I thought like, I haven't traveled <laughs> compared to some people. I'm so, so lucky. So that, that's not maybe fair to say, but I haven't, you know, done as much traveling as I would have liked. I haven't written the book that I want to write or, you know, make the documentary that I always said I was going to make. And it seemed like you could always say one day and then, you know, the next thing comes up and it's such a whirlwind in TV that all of a sudden it's like three months ahead. You don't know what just happened. Like, cause everything is just happening so fast. And you're so busy. And I just needed to slow down. So that was a huge mind shift for me. But on top of that, I was actually getting really sick. Like I was getting really burnt out and I always thought I would not be that person. I always thought like I was, I don't get burnt out. I'm tougher than that. Like I can handle it. And even if I mentally thought that my body was like, not so fast, you have a nervous system and it's on the fritz. It wasn't a noticeable eye twitch, but like I had that, I grinded my teeth all night, every night I had to get a mouth guard. I had incredible migraines, you know, like gut health issues, uh, wasn't sleeping. I just, it was a total and like eventual breakdown. And I ended up getting a migraine on air. Didn't know it was a migraine at the time because what happened was I went numb on the entire left side of my body. Like started in my arm, went to my leg and then 
even like the last out of my mouth. So I went right to the emergency room, like walked off the set. And that really just solidified, like, I need to make a change. And this is the right thing for me to do. I ended up going to the stroke clinic and la la la. Luckily, um, it wasn't that. It was just a really, they call it an atypical migraine where it changes like a part of your brain is so inflamed or so upset for lack of a better term that those are your symptoms. And so like I had hand weakness in my left side for, for months after, honestly. It was twofold. It was one, I want to do more with my life and just work. The other hand was my body was saying like, now is the time enough. That was amazing to hear all of that on, on both counts. I think on one hand, just putting yourself in the shoes of somebody that would be at the later stages of life and thinking back on the life that you want to live and then projecting that forward for yourself is really powerful stuff. And also having the self-awareness to understand when you, when your body is sending you that message. I'm sorry to hear about that, but I'm happy to hear that you have pursued something that is very you know important and passionate to you. And Full Card Productions, this is a production company that you've started for yourself. Tell mm-hmm. us about that. Oh, okay. I'm so excited. And that's funny too, right? Like things that you get excited about, you should just maybe do those, <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I guess the last year and a half, I started it right after I left CP24 and a slow build because it was Toronto, it was in the pandemic and slowly started getting some clients. And so what I, was, what I am offering is video content. And I feel like there's a lot of barriers to that. It's so expensive. You don't maybe get a ton of say in you know, how that product rolls out. Like, do you want three shorter videos? Do you want a longer video? And so it's been really fun to get to work with people and figure out exactly what they want and to create, because that's the biggest thing. To, I just needed to be creative again, too. So I you know, had to relearn editing, relearn shooting. Luckily, cheers, Prince George. Like, I did have the framework. I'm doing that now in Victoria. We moved back a few months ago. And also doing a lot of photography, too. People want a lot of, a lot of photos. So that's been um, a big learning curve and really fun, too. And the goal is to do documentaries. So uh, starting here and filling up the space and working with a lot of amazing people and then telling stories, whether it's for a brand or, uh, you know, a nonfiction story like I love. And, and that's one thing I want to transition to is longer format stuff. That's awesome. It must be also liberating to have a little bit of extra time to package your work and your stories versus just the never ending tsunami of news hits that just come so quickly that you can't actually perhaps put in the same level of TLC to think about the story that you want to tell and to let it breathe. Oh man, it's so nice. I was thinking that like we go for a walk down to the beach almost every day. I'm like, I think it's now normal to me. <laughs> I'm like, I wanted to take a step back and think like, you would work like six days in a row, you know, like doing these crazy shifts. Like you go to bed and go right back to work. And now you get to go out and walk by the ocean. So, I mean, there's risks when you work for yourself, obviously, but there are so many rewards. Yeah. So on the topic of rewards, let's talk a little bit about how you've continued to build your company. So obviously a notable figure in the Canadian media landscape, um, when you decided to go freelance, you've really leveraged social media to tell people in your audience about personal stories and what you're doing a little bit more and doing stuff through Instagram and YouTube. So I'm wondering at what point you sort of realized that there was an opportunity to continue to grow your personality, the production company, your interests further. I think because I, mean, I think I was really late to this game, I just started falling in love with different YouTubers. I thought like, this is super fun. Like, I love these people now. For instance, like Johnny Harris, Lizzie Pierce, these kind of people that share parts of their lives, but also have a lot of incredible um, different information. Like, you know, Lizzie has a production company with, with her husband and talk about that, but then you also see their life. And Johnny Harris, you know, he worked at Vox. So he would have these incredible videos with these outstanding graphics and maps. 
but then it would also be him and his wife, Izzy and their kids. And so you're like, oh, wow, I, I like how they're doing both. I like that you get to see a person and, oh my God, they have opinions. <laughs> like, what is that? <laughs> so I did start a YouTube channel. This is a good kick in the butt though, John, for me to start doing some more because I keep meaning to, like we keep, I always have a camera handy, obviously the, to document everything. So I love that. Um, but I just haven't put it together, a, a BC edition anyways. But so I was doing that after CP24. And then I got pregnant. Actually, I found out I was pregnant two weeks after I quit my job. <laughs> so <laughs> that was a little stressful. <laughs> but honestly, everything has a way of working out. I can say that now. <laughs> there was a lot of amazing people that I had been talking to and you know connecting with over Instagram predominantly. And so to do a, you know, a vlog, it seemed like people were interested. And so that was really cool to kind of stay in contact. Even if I wasn't the person that was all dolled up on TV, there seemed to have some kind of transferal that people still felt connected to me. And, and so, and I've still felt connected to them. So it was nice to still be able to maintain that. So you kind of touched on a little bit of the hybrid role that exists in the media world nowadays, which is sort of journalists who are also extending their voice or their, the different things they want to talk about through social media and vice versa. And I'm wondering what you think the future may hold for the idea of sort of hybrids, people that have either worked in traditional media and are developing their own media content or perhaps still doing both. I don't know. Like you think about Jessica Yellen, who was at CNN and now she has this amazing Instagram page. Like I love that because she's bringing news to people where they're actually getting it. And I think that mainstream TV and media might need to get do a better job of that. I mean, everyone is now transitioned to online, but she's a great example. And I think that is the future is finding a way to get people where they're at, you know, and people are going to be on their cell phones. And so that's where you need to find them and deliver them the news. But then again, it brings up the point of like, you get to choose what you consume. Like, what are you going to choose? <laughs> and then what are you going to consume? So that's a wonderful segue too. I was actually just about to delve into that a little bit further with you, which is the idea that we both went to journalism school. While you're there, you learn about fact-checking. You learn about the rules around plagiarism or slander or libel. I can even remember not that long ago, people that would have, let's call it just a blog, they wouldn't even want to pull an image from Google for fear of like copyright issues, things of that nature. And now you have influencers who are legitimately just pulling from whatever source possible and making huge sums of money just by sort of trafficking different memes yeah. or pieces of third-party content, things of that nature. It's completely different. And as you know, lawyers would get involved in traditional journalism when it comes to certain reports. You'd have to make sure that everything is tidy. You could find yourself in trouble. Where nowadays, it's certainly much more of a case of put it out there to be first and kind of deal with the aftermath and hopefully it's not too bad. Or they're not actually a journalist. It is just that person, you know, Joe Public. So, mm -hmm. you know, they were just sort of putting out whatever they wanted to. So as we move into a bit more of this hybrid world where those walls break down between traditional journalism and some of the key things that would ensure that there was not misinformation and to avoid those echo chambers. How do you feel about a world where some of those safeguards aren't in place to the same degree? I'm so scared, honestly. Like, and I see it within friends and my own family, even about the pandemic is the biggest source of conspiracy theories that at least in my lifetime, right? Like, Maybe 9 11. Okay. <laughs> but even that was starting because there was a distrust in media after there's weapons of mass destruction. And then it turns out there wasn't. There was like, wait, the media wasn't right. And we all believe them. And then all of a sudden it's like, what else are they not right about? And so that kind of created this whole distrust. And now we've been 
it's just been building the last 20 years. And so you have the pandemic and people are at home, they're on Facebook and there are, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg would disagree, but there are not a lot of safeguards in place to try to give some warnings to people or context. I think Twitter's done a better job, but then it's like this weird icky space of like, well, what's free speech? Like, (laughs) I don't want that to be free speech, but is it, you know? Is it even if you don't like it, it shouldn't be allowed anyways. Like, you know, so it's a really scary place. And I think if you are a journalist now, that's a really scary thing to be up against because people have a lot of anger at the media. And like my partner, he was a camera person at CB24. And the last few months we were in Toronto, I mean, like people were coming up to his, his vehicle, like throwing things, like being very like verbally aggressive. And so that's scary to have, not have the safeguards physically, but then also to have people just put out information they want and all of a sudden QAnon becomes something that people actually think is real. It's, it's both. It's a scary place to be in the field, a scary place to even consume because you have to be really, really diligent about what are you reading and, you know, is it just retweeted? Is it just reposted? Like, is this true? And so we all have to be so discerning and like, I don't know if the attention spans are there for us to really be that discerning and careful. Yeah, I would agree completely. And a lot of people wouldn't even necessarily have the ability or the tools to fact check or to see yeah. where was that source coming from? Is that a legitimate source? Who's behind that? And in some cases, there's been additional sort of credit given to more anonymous sources. Like you mentioned in the QAnon, nobody actually knows who this being person entity is, but they're putting out this information and suddenly there's people that rally around it. Um, and get elected <laughs> and believe yeah, it. no doubt. <laughs> right? On that note, do you feel like there needs to be more reform or a little bit more critical thought that goes into how we police social media? Yeah, I just don't know. I don't think I'm smart enough to know how to do it. <laughs> you know, like there's just so many people and there's the sheer volume of information online. Like we're just getting hit from all sides. And so if we can barely weed through it, how are the platforms going to? I hope the algorithm works, but... I do think it, it is their responsibility to start to put slap these labels on, slap these warnings on, take it down. Like if it is blatant misinformation and this is costing lives, like in the case of COVID, like do something. But we also just can't count on them. And like you said, like it's hard to be so discerning. It's hard to know who is not just telling the truth because the truth is subjective to everybody, but what are the facts and where are you finding them? You know, and, and for the layperson, like, I don't know, you know, that that's, that's really hard. It's hard to know because you can be fooled all the time. It's easy online. Anybody can be anybody. Well, I've got that old quote from Kellyanne Conway, just circling through my brain of alternative facts now too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, if we can't agree on the facts, it's a little bit tricky because you're right. Truth can be subjective, but the facts are intended to be the facts. Yeah. As somebody that has worked in a variety of different newsrooms and again, you, you understand those safeguards well. And so I'm sure with the, you know, everything that you're going to do moving forward, you will approach it with a certain level of integrity because that's sort of how people are trained, really. You know, mm-hmm, totally. That's, I don't think people understand that about journalism or journalism school, that there's proper training that goes into fact-checking and vetting against misinformation and understanding legal consequences and all of those things. Given the sort of fire hose of information that happens across social media, how do you think or how might you approach trying to stand out amidst all of that noise because there is so much out there and at times around certain issues like a COVID or like a QAnon, Mm -hmm. there can be a lot of misinformation. 
have you found something that works for yourself or anyone else or anybody that you follow where you feel like there are some ways that you can sort of break through all of that clutter and make sure that the facts are known? Um, in terms of like breaking through it and, you know, slowing the scroll for a minute, I think authenticity, you know, people want to feel like they're connecting with a real human being who is being themselves. And there's some weird thing that people always know. And I found this with people on air too. If they were putting on a voice or a persona, like people were like, oh, I don't know about that person. I don't know why, you know? Um, and I think that also comes through online too, where if you just lean into who you are, even if it's like uncomfortable or it's vulnerable, people will gravitate towards that. Not everybody, but I think the people that should, honestly, the people that are best suited to you. In terms of filtering out, you know, information, I think I'm still figuring it out too, just like everyone else. Like, I, I don't know what the right thing is. I, I follow Flow Mail, Toronto Star, Washington Post, New York Times, and they're all doing amazing stuff, but so is BuzzFeed. You know, they're doing incredible investigative stuff too. So, you know, uh, here Capital Daily, like they do this, like they're totally online and they do an amazing job investigating stories that mainstream isn't following. So, I mean, at least for me, I follow both. I, I do the mainstream group, then I also try to follow places that are almost ignoring it and, and looking at stories that aren't getting covered. I think that makes sense. The fragmentation of sort of the industry and of media in general, then uh, there are so many options out there. So I think you kind of bring up a good point, which is just the idea of you can get diverse opinions from different places covering different stories. And then in some way, shape or form, we all just, it's kind of incumbent upon ourselves to make sure that those people are at least going about it the right way to yeah. give our, ourselves the best chance at getting the facts. And so to wrap this up, and this is something that I, I think kind of encapsulates our full discussion, which is when we're thinking of your career too, there's two ways that journalism has shifted. On one hand, the pressure on the individual, like we were talking oh. about, okay, so it's just nonstop with these stories and they can be very heavy. And guess mm -hmm. what? Now you have to do the videography and you're producing yourself. Oh, and you might have somebody harassing you on the street as well mm -hmm. as you're trying to go about that. And you got to do it for six days straight for long hours. Like the burnout is real. So there's that side of it. And then on the other side of the coin, just more about the industry in general, it is the fragmentation of media, the fact that anybody can be a reporter in terms of having the technology in their pocket to, to promote a story and to hit that at scale globally, that sort of thing. So when you consider the pressure on the individual that's trying to do things the right way, and then sort of the macro evolution of media and the fact that anything is kind of possible for somebody that has that iPhone. Do you think that the traditional newsroom, as you would have experienced it and as I would have grown up, will exist in the future? Or do you think that will be sort of a relic of the past as things evolve? I think it'll be a relic of the past. And like, even right now, I can't believe I'm saying it because <laughs> I was the ultimate denier because I was young and starting out in an industry that even our professors said, like, why are you guys all here? Like, and that was when like you were just starting out because we had a full class of ours and, you know, like everyone wants to be a reporter, like, but I do, I think it's going to keep changing and evolving so much that these stations will be just totally, will be eventually like disassembled in some way. Everybody proved they could work pretty well from home. And I think that will be a new model going forward. It saves money in office space. <laughs> I mean, you can't get around the fact that you can't make it look good in your living room. So, I mean, I think there will be new studios, but I think it'll be going online. You know, like I think that's where people will be getting their news. And that was another big focus for me in, in shifting gears was like, where is the future? Like I could give years of my life to this industry and I could get laid off. And for what? I spent my entire 20s working flat out and now getting a break and a pause. I'm like, wow, like there's so much more 
your personality is not your profession, you know, and, and sorry, that's a side of your, your question, but I do think that uh, things will shift and I hope that they shift in a way that it's better for reporters, like so that they can do a good job because that's what, the, that's what everyone wants to do. And there is no big conspiracy. Like you have an agenda. It's like, no man, I'm just trying to make my deadline. Like I don't have time to think about like <laughs> the politics of this, you know, like, especially in, smaller markets too. It's like, there is no bigger conspiracy. I'm just like, just trying to do a good job. So I've actually, a lot of um, younger journalists have reached out to me actually. And my age and older too, is just saying like, you know, what's it been like? And like, I'm struggling. And I, I was shocked at that to hear from people that again, we all put on a brave face online and on TV, but it is really, really hard for people that are trying to gather and deliver the news. Like you said too, like not only are the resources dwindling, but attitudes right? Like are totally, totally changing. This is, you're not just automatically trusted. In fact, some people just hate you. Kelly, that was a wonderful answer. And your personality is not your profession. That's like a mic drop comment. I feel that. Uh, <laughs> it's have from a lot the Atlantic. People... Yeah. <laughs> I read an article. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Um, that, See, I got to give credit. I'm having anxiety already. Like we're trained, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah, I didn't come up with that. <laughs> That's hilarious. But wow, really appreciate your transparency and honesty in this discussion and, and giving people a glimpse of what's happening on the other side of the camera where sometimes they don't necessarily, I think, understand the pressures that go along with mm-hmm. news. And like you said as well, there's not enough time to insert my political view here or there. You're just trying to get the facts and get the story out. And yeah. I, I see and hear that a lot from friends of mine in the news. And I think that's something that the public should know about. But this has been a wonderful discussion. I wish you all the best obviously in motherhood and also with your new production company and really appreciate you joining us today to offer more insights on sort of the ever evolving media landscape in Canada. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thanks for having me, Tom. Good talking. For more on Kelly Linehan and Full Card Productions, check out at Kelly Linehan on Instagram. And for the latest in digital marketing news in the world of technology, visit us at theinfluenceagency.com or follow us online at Influence Agency. We'll see you next time.